So let's get started with today's message. It's Easter, and I want to just deal with some things that, that Easter is about. You have heard the stories, many of you, some of you perhaps have never heard the stories, so it's bare, they bear going over. We live in Florida, we live in Naples, Florida, in certain parts of Florida, and Naples is one of them where we, we call uh, a part of the year season. And during season, many people come to Naples. They come to Naples for a variety of reasons, and one of those reasons is the sunshine and the fair weather. And then when it turns back into, into summer, people flee because it's no longer fair weather. It's sunshine, but the weather is not so pleasant anymore. Well, in another part of the world, in Jerusalem, it was season. It was Passover season. And people were flocking to Jerusalem. People were coming by the scores from the surrounding areas to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They had heard that another person was on their way to Jerusalem as well that Jesus himself was coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover too. And when they heard the news, there was a stir, there was a buzz on the street. People were saying, he's coming, he's coming. And so people got excited, and they went out to greet him. And on his way into Jerusalem, the Bible says they, they took uh, palm branches, they took their clothes, and they, they lined the road with palm branches in their clothing. And they said, Hosanna, Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And if you're unfamiliar with the word Hosanna, it's used as a term of praise, but it also means save now or save us now. And so they're crying out to the king, the king of the Jews. They're crying out to their Messiah. Some recognize him as Messiah, some do not. But they're calling, they're calling out Hosanna, save now. They want deliverance. And the, primarily, these people want deliverance from the Roman oppression. But aren't you glad that God didn't come just to deliver us from the Roman oppression? He came to deliver us from the, from the, from the kingdom of darkness itself, to deliver us from the, 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 uh, the strength and the power and the might of Satan himself. And so up to that point, Satan was seemingly having his way on the planet, doing what he wanted to do, ruling, ruling uh, people, ruling situations, bringing darkness and despair across the land. And Jesus showed up, and the people are ready to be delivered. But again, they're not thinking in the big picture. They're thinking small. This is get rid of these Roman people. They're really, really a problematic. They're harassing us, and we don't like it anymore. And so as this, as this uh, celebration goes on, uh, uh, you know, it's, this is several days. This is several days of celebration. Some communities have celebrations like that too. Carnivals are like that. It seems like if you go to a carnival, it's just nonstop activity. There's bands playing. There's food to eat. And I'm sure that people are getting together and they're, they're sampling some of the foods. They're seeing old friends. Hey, I haven't seen you since last year. This is great. And, and then, uh, of course, uh, the, the bandstands had different musicians, different bands playing. And so I can imagine uh, Cool and his Jerusalem gang were there. Celebrate good time. Come on, Jesus is coming. The Savior is riding into town. And so it's just a grand time, a great time. But behind the scenes, what's going on during this week is there's a lot of other activity going on in dark alleys, in back rooms, where things and people are discussing how to get rid of this revolutionary, how to get rid of this man who has raised people from the dead, has restored the blind, the sights of the blind, who's brought hope and help to so many people, who fed 5,000 one time, 4,000 another time, who walked on water, this is a problem. Because this guy's messing up our gig. We got a good thing going with the people, and he is messing everything up. And so the Bible says in several places, actually, that they, the religious leaders, 
plotted to kill Jesus. It wasn't like a random event. This was first-degree murder. And we need to understand that. It wasn't like, oh, well, they just got mad one day and, you know, decided to crucify him. No, this is a planned activity. And as he shows up in Jerusalem, they've had enough. It's been three years of what they believe is just foolishness, craziness, and stealing the people from adoring them. And so, in, again, in back alleys and in dark rooms and, in, and, and, and payoffs being made, right? So Judas is paid off. I'll deliver him up to you. Say, man, we'll get, we got some money for you. What do you want? 30 pieces of silver. Okay, great. We can do that. They're also getting people rallied around and, 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 and uh, organized to do what? That, hey, listen, when he's arrested, there are going to be a lot of people who are saying, no, 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 that this is our Savior, this is our King. Let him go, let him go. We can't have that. So there's some more money being paid off, some more people being gathered. What? We need a mob. We need a mob scene to shout down anybody who's in favor of this so-called Messiah. And so all this is going on during the week. We get to Friday, which we as Christians call Good Friday. But it was a dark day. It was a dark day. Now, it really was a Good Friday, even though the events that unfolded were pretty tragic. But it was still Good Friday because this is the beginning of our salvation, the beginning of the deliverance. And so as Friday approaches... They're getting ready to have their, their Passover meal together. Again, some, some deals have been made to arrest Jesus, to bring him up on charges, and eventually to have him murdered. So he meets with his disciples, a lot of good stuff going on. He's brought to Pilate. Pilate tries to figure out how to, you know, I don't want anything to do with this. Sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back. So Pilate's stuck. And if you know the story, Pilate's in the predicament because Pilate, it seems that he's actually persuading his heart. I think this guy really is the son of God, and I don't want anything to do with this. And so we know how he says that he washes his hands, like, like, like that's going to somehow uh, um, deliver him from any kind of wrongdoing. I just wash my hands. They're clean. And so we know what happens. We know Jesus is arrested. We know that he is uh, beaten. We know he is battered. We know he is mocked by the soldiers. We know that they make fun of him, ridicule him for being an alleged king. In their heart and their minds, he's not a king at all. They fasten a crown of thorns and place it on his head, pressing into his skull. And so, so he gets this crown of thorns. Here you go, king. They, they, they beat him, and then they put a robe on him. Now, if you've ever had any kind of cut on your body and you put something on top of that, it just it hurts. It's annoying. It's painful. And so they'd already beaten him, then they put the robe on him, and they're just mocking him. Come on, king, come on. Show us your power now. And the Bible says they would strike him, and who hits you? Prophesy. Who hits you? And so this is what's going on. It's an, it's an amazing series of events. As the, most of the world sleeps, as most of the world is thinking, this is business as usual. It's going to be Passover. Come on, we're going to, tomorrow's going to be a great day, another great day of celebration. Most people have no idea that in the wee hours of the morning, there are treacheries taking place. So Jesus is arrested. Pilate tries to release him. But because of all these people who have been brought in, agitators, outside agitators, sounds like something like in this modern era, doesn't it? They're not from here. They came in buses from other places. They Cause problems in our city. And so these outside agitators came in. 
And they're the ones who cried, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate's trying to get, crucify him! Have you ever seen anybody with that kind of hatred? Because I have. I mean, there's people who really are hateful that way. Just turn on the news any day, you'll see people like that. And so these people were serious, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, I'll let him go. I'll let him, no! And so they decide, Pilate decides, okay, this is it. Hands him over, hands Jesus over. And they march out. The soldiers march Jesus and two other men. The Bible calls them criminals. So three of them heading up to Calvary to be executed. The two men who are with Jesus are criminals. The Bible's clear on that. It says they are criminals. What the Bible doesn't tell us is when their life of crime began, nor does the Bible tell us or list for us their criminal activity. They don't have a rap sheet in the Bible on that, but they are criminals. Now, this is an assumption, of course, but you have to assume that if somebody's getting the death penalty, then they must have committed a very serious crime. Petty theft is not something that you get the death penalty for. It's likely that these men were violent criminals, and that's what landed them in this situation. As they're marched out, The people began to gather. Crowds began to gather. There are many people who want to witness the punishment of these men. And there are some who are coming and are eager to see the Son of God, Jesus, be crucified. This is the day they've longed for. This is the moment they've waited for. He has been a problem. He has agitated, irritated us. And now it's our day. It's payback. And so people are coming out, and they're, they're, again, some are super excited to see this. Others are sad because they had so much hope that Jesus showed so much promise. And he said so many things that brought life. And now here he is being marched off to be executed. Along the way, people continue to mock him. They continue to insult him, taunting him and calling, calling names. If you, if, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, call on God now. Right? So this, this challenge goes way back to the start of Jesus' ministry. When Satan appeared, remember when Jesus came out of the, out of the wilderness? Satan appeared to him. If, if you are the son of God, right? Taunting him. And these are the same taunts being hurled by the people gathered. If you are the son of God, but they don't mean it as show your power really. Because they have no belief that this guy is a genuine article. In fact, what they're saying is, this guy's a fraud. And he's about to be exposed for his fraudulent activities. They're cheering it on. Come on. Come on. Let's, let's get to this. Let's see him crucified. And the Bible says that the criminals, the criminals joined in this process of mocking and ridiculing him. And the Bible goes on to say that one of them said to Jesus, uh, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us too. While you're at it, save us too. Now here you have to understand that this criminal, again, it was not recognizing Jesus' deity or that he could help in any way. It was merely mockery. Could you imagine hanging on the cross and looking at Jesus next to you and you're still, you're still in defiance? 
Some people are that way. They're just defiant until the end. They're defiant until their last breath. And this man was defiant. You're the king. Come on, save us and yourself too. Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's taunting him and taunting him. But the Bible does say that both criminals were giving him a hard time. Now, I don't know what happened in this man's heart. I don't know what prompted this to take place. But there is a startling turn of events, an unforeseen event that occurs that needs to be examined, needs to be looked at, needs to be discussed. Because one of the criminals, the second criminal, somewhere along the way has a change of heart. He has a moment while he's perhaps reflecting on his life and he's hanging on a cross too. There's a pause. And we pick the story up in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 40, and it says, but the other criminal, the second criminal, rebuked the first one, called out the first one, and said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we, you and I, criminal number one, criminal number two, you and I, we are being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he's speaking of Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified between the other two. So there's this conversation going back and forth between three men who are um, going, to, going to be dead in a matter of hours. It's just a matter of time before they suffocate. But there's, now there's an argument going back and forth between these two men. Again, what prompted the change of heart? And the one man, the second criminal, says, look, man, we, we deserve to die. For what we've done, for the crimes we committed, for the sins we've committed, we deserve to die. But, but this man, this man has done nothing wrong. This is a travesty. This is a miscarriage of justice. Now, again, what prompted the man to change his attitude? I have no idea, but something happened. Something happened. Could it be that when he heard Jesus speak to those who were uh, executing him and to the crowds gathered around, that when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, could it be that that second criminal maybe caught a glimmer of hope. Wait, this man who done no wrong is asking for forgiveness for those who are evildoers. And I'm an evildoer, and I've been an evildoer my entire life. Maybe there's hope for me. The Bible doesn't record any of this, but I'm just wondering what happened here. Could he have had a moment that maybe, maybe I could be forgiven too? Maybe I could be forgiven too. And then we read Jesus' reply. And if you don't know what the reply is, come on, fasten your seatbelt because this is radical. This is crazy. There's a criminal on either side of Jesus. They've had a life of crime. They're being punished for their deeds. 
They're being punished for their poor behavior, their bad activity, their criminal activity. And the man says to Jesus that um, he asked Jesus to remember him. He asked Jesus to remember him. Now, this is another crazy moment in time. I'll get back to what Jesus said in just a second, but this is another crazy moment in time. Here's this man who has a change of heart because he was mocking Jesus. And then he says to Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This criminal is a rank sinner. He has done nothing right and everything wrong his entire life. He's aware that he deserves to die. And he simply asks Jesus to remember him. Remember me. He doesn't ask for mercy. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. He simply said, remember me. He didn't have time to memorize the four spiritual laws. He didn't have time to be baptized. He merely said, remember me. He didn't have time to take the sacraments of the church. He didn't have time to pad his resume with good works and good deeds. He merely said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Clearly, this man knew something, had got revelation on, on this along the way because he said, when you come into your kingdom, wait a minute, if this man who's not being crucified between you other the two is not a real king, then why would you say when you come into your kingdom? This man got revelation. This man realized this is the Son of God. And he asked Jesus to remember him. He asked Jesus to remember him. And the verse reminds me of an old, an old song. I've taken and taken what never belonged to me. I'm a thief and I'm guilty. And though I don't deserve a thing, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. This man was aware of his sinful life. This man was aware that he deserved nothing. And yet some, some kind of hope and faith rose up on the inside of me, called out, remember me. And now we get to Jesus' radical reply. He said, to the, he said to this man, today, this day, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. This is a deathbed confession. This man is dying, and he asked Jesus to remember him. And Jesus doesn't hesitate. It doesn't say he prayed for a while to figure out what to do. It doesn't say that he had a moment where, you know, I don't know, you know, you're a pretty bad fellow, and I don't know if this is okay. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. No, he just responded immediately. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so Jesus' response is revolutionary. There's hope, and there's hope for everyone. There's hope for all humanity. This man was a lifetime criminal. You say, well, I'm not a lifetime criminal. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have failed. If you're trying to keep the law, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, uh, good luck on that. You had to have figured out somewhere along the way that it's not possible. And so breaking part of the law is breaking all of the law. We never tell somebody you broke a law. We say you've broken the law. And so this man just leans on. Hope 
that can be found in Christ. And he says, remember me. The Bible says clearly that God is not willing that any should perish. This is not God's plan and design. This never was God's plan and design. God's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but all should come to repentance. Here is a man who came to repentance and received God's gift of eternal life. The Bible says that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came into, he said, this is, a, this is a true statement and reliable. You can trust it. You can hold on to what the Bible says, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That means Christ came into the world to save me, and that means Christ came into the world to save you. And it means that no matter what you've done and how far you've gone and the crimes you've committed, the sins you've committed, how, how hopelessly you've, you've fallen and how hopelessly you've failed, that the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient and more than enough for you to have eternal life with, with God. And so at this moment in time, Jesus is on the cross. The Bible says darkness covered the land. It said the sun didn't shine. Could you imagine that? It's noonday and the sun goes out. There was that song that we just sang. It said the light went out. It's scriptural. It's dark. Lightning flashes. The thunder rolls. The veil of the temple tears in two. The earth shakes. Rocks crack open. And Jesus cries out, it is finished. It is finished. And he wasn't saying, okay, that's it. My life's over. I'm done. He's saying it is finished. The sacrifice is complete. God's plan is fulfilled. Mankind now has been redeemed. My blood has been sufficient to pay for all the sins of all humanity from beginning to end and all the parts in between. But, the, but we celebrate Easter because of what happened during that day when he died on Calvary, and the, and, and the third day later, when the Bible says he rose from the dead, God raised him back to life. That death couldn't hold him, the grave couldn't hold him, that he was raised back to life. So not only in the moment of his death was his blood sufficient to pay for the penalty for all humanity's sins, but then God demonstrated that he has power over death. And so the Bible says, oh, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Come on, Jesus overcame it all. And so there's no reason for us to hang our head, be sad, be, be discouraged, because Jesus already took care of it all. The Bible says in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, all of us like sheep have, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the beautiful thing is that Christianity's message is simple. All man has fallen, all man is broken, all man is, has sinned. But Jesus paid the penalty for those sins. Neither you nor I are going to be required to give our own blood Neither you or I are going to be required to pay the price because we can't pay that price. The price is too steep. The price is too great. 
the bill is past due, it's overdue, and there are insufficient funds in your account. And God knew this would happen, and God knew that this was going to happen to mankind, and God had a plan. The Bible says his plan uh, preceded, actually, the creation of man itself. God knew, and God pre-planned all of this. It wasn't an accident. These men who crucified Jesus, killed him, they thought this was all premeditated. They thought they, thought they had their own bright idea, but this is all God's plan. And they played right into it. They played right into it. And the Bible says if they had known, if they had known what God's plan was, they would have not have crucified Jesus. But they didn't know. They didn't know by this one man's sacrifice, all men could have eternal life. So God got the upper hand again, and he always does. Even when your moments seem the darkest, seem the bleakest, seem like, am I ever going to get out of this, uh, uh, over this hump or, or through this valley? The answer is assuredly yes. But you have to know Christ as your Lord and your Savior. So without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The Bible says it was, it was God was pleased to crush him. God was pleased. And we can't fathom that. And that might bother you. I'm sorry if it does, but that is God's plan. That God laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. It wasn't just mine, which was bad enough but it was yours too. And then it was the sins of the entire world, past, present, future. He, he carried all of those to the cross. And so without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. In this, in this bucket, I have some glow sticks. And this glow stick by itself does really nothing. There, there it is, a whole lot of nothing. But to activate this glow stick... It's a pretty simple process. You have to break the contents inside. You have to snap the stuff inside. And when you do, then the contents are activated. Why did Jesus have to die? Because in this process, when Jesus was broken, it activated God's plan for you and for me. He made a way. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. The blood of Jesus is more than enough. Why did Jesus have to die? Because it activated God's plan. Don't go away not understanding that. There had to be another way. God had no plan B. His plan A was the perfect plan. It was the only plan. It's the plan that you have to rely on. It's the plan that I have to rely on. And so when I put this on, if I'm celebrating Passover, come on, this is like the, the death angel swoops down and man, I'm covered in the blood. I'm washed in the blood. In the Old Testament, they just covered stuff with blood. In the New Testament, we're washed in the blood. We're washed in the blood of Jesus. We're washed in the blood of Jesus. 